Good morning, everyone. Let's pray as we turn our attention to God's Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks and praise because you're worthy of our worship. Thank you and, and praise you for the songs that have shared the story of the gospel and directed our hearts to you this morning and worship and praise. And Lord Jesus, we ask and pray that you would be at work now in this time through your spirit in our hearts and our minds, Lord, to grow and strengthen our faith. Lord, that you would lead us to worship you, to serve you, to celebrate you, to share you. Lord, would you be at work today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. One of the things I love about Christmas time is the music. What I love about the music is the carols, these Christmas carols that focus on Christ. Christmas is all about Jesus coming to rescue the world, as you know. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And salvation leads us to write and to sing music because we rejoice in our hearts. It's not enough just to talk about it. We got to sing about it. Jesus is the life and the light of men. Jesus is the light that's overcome the darkness. Jesus is the greatest gift that you could ever get. Now, the Christmas story, like any good story, all good stories, the greater the bad guy, the greater the victory for uh, the hero when the good guy wins. So stomping on an ant does not compare with wrestling with a lion. Maybe doing battle with a horde of fire ants would be something comparable, but Jesus defeats a dragon, the devil. Jesus defeats sin and death. Jesus is the light that vanquishes darkness, and it's worthy of song. You see, the heart of Christmas is this, this good news of what God has done to save us, and that's why the angels declare, Behold, we bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then the angels sing. Now what do we do with news? We share it. We share news. So the angels tell the shepherds and the shepherds tell it and all who heard it wondered, Luke 2, 19. Mary sings a song and Zechariah prophesied and Elizabeth shouts for joy and God's people have been celebrating and sharing this good news ever since. That was John's mission, John the Baptist, and it's ours today. The, the message for us this morning is this, go tell it on the mountain, O herald of good news to the world. We're going to see three aspects of John's life this morning, his mission, his message, and how he magnified Jesus. And this leads us to serve, to share, and to celebrate Jesus. Turn in your Bibles then to John chapter 1. We're looking at verses 6 through 8 today. We've been working through John 1, 1 through 18. The introduction to, to the Gospel of John for our Christmas series this year. And last week we saw how John's Gospel is unique because when he starts the story of Christ, he goes all the way back before creation to the deity of Jesus as God, the one through whom all things were made. Jesus eternally existed with the Father. 
He has life in himself and he gives life to others. But today we're going to see how Jesus was publicly heralded by John the Baptist. The angels, the shepherds, the wise men, they all had their part in announcing the Savior, but it's, it's John. God sent John specifically before the Messiah to announce his coming that men might be ready to receive the salvation that he brings. That leads us then to point number one for us today, John's mission. John came to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And we have a similar, though not identical, mission. Look at verses 6 and 7. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. So John is sent from God, verse 6. And you know the history. You're familiar with this history. Zechariah, the priest, who is his dad, he goes into the temple to burn incense, most likely at the time of the evening sacrifice. This is literally a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And what happens? The angel, angel Gabriel appears to him, and Zechariah freaks out. The angel says, don't be afraid. Your prayers have been answered. And he tells him that you and your wife Elizabeth are going to have a son. And you're to call his name John, Luke 1.13. John was a miracle baby because Elizabeth was barren. And she was advanced in years. She's beyond childbearing age. God does this to show that nothing will be impossible for God. He does it to strengthen Mary's faith, and he does it to strengthen our own faith as well. God worked in a miraculous way to bring John into this world, making it clear, I'm the one who sent this child. And all of this was a part of God's plan to send a messenger before the Messiah. God declared that he would do this through the prophet Isaiah roughly 700 years in advance. John is sent from God in fulfillment of prophecy. All four Gospels point this out, and this too strengthens our faith in God and His Word. When asked who He was, John said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. We read that in John 1 verse 23, if you look down just a few verses. Now this prophecy that he's talking about comes from Isaiah chapter 40, which we just read a moment ago. And that's a turning point of the book when the book shifts from a message of judgment to a message of, of restoration and salvation and hope. The Lord is going to redeem his people from exile, they're, but they're not going to save themselves. The Lord himself is going to do this. And the salvation is certain because it's based on God's promise, God's word, and his word stands forever, verses 6 through 8. And this is good news, this good news of the Lord's coming to save. It's supposed to be boldly proclaimed. Three times in Isaiah, we hear this voice crying out, verse 3 and verse 6 and verse 9. God sends this messenger to announce his arrival. That's John. Isaiah says, Get you up to a high mountain, O herald of good news to Zion. In other words, go tell it on the mountain. <laughs> go tell it on the mountain. Lift up your voice with strength, O herald of good news to Jerusalem. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. God's coming to save, and the herald is supposed to lift up his voice with strength and without fear. 
clearly, boldly. That's how we proclaim the good news. Whenever a great person uh, makes a public appearance, somebody always announces them. They announce professional athletes before a game. They announce actors before they're going to receive an award. They announce the president before he makes a speech. Well, John announces Jesus. Jesus is the last of the prophets who point ahead to Jesus, Luke 1, But in our text, the emphasis is on witness. I want you to notice that in verses 7 and 8, John is called a witness three times. And then he's called a witness again in verse 15 and verse 32 and verse 34. And I looked it up. Every single time John shows up in the gospel of John, he's called a witness. That's where the emphasis is. His mission was to be a witness to the light, to Jesus Christ. Why? Verse 7, so that all might believe through him. That's his mission. But this theme of witness is central in the gospel of John. It runs cover to cover in the book. The apostle John, in his gospel, is building a case for Christ. Is Jesus really the Savior and the Son of God, as the apostles claimed? Or is Jesus a blasphemer and a deceiver, as the Jewish religious leaders claimed that he was? It's like a courtroom setting. With, with Jesus' life and ministry on trial. And just like a trial, like a court case, the apostles bringing in all these witnesses to establish the truth of his identity. John is just one. Other witnesses include God the Father, Moses and the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit, the disciples, all of Jesus' miraculous works, turning water to wine, healing people, feeding the multitudes, opening the eyes of the blind, raising Lazarus from the dead, and even John the Apostle himself, who is an eyewitness. What's the point? The point of all of these numerous and powerful witnesses is to show the overwhelming proof that Jesus really is the Messiah. See, the Apostle tells us his goal in this book is that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we might have life in his name. That's the purpose for which he's writing. And John is just the first witness in a long line of witnesses. God provides more than enough evidence for people to put their faith in Jesus Christ. But all of these, these witnesses, all of this testimony, it's all leading us to answer this question, will I believe in Jesus Christ or not? John was sent for witness about the light so that people will believe through him. That's his mission. Now, one of the major themes of the Christmas story is being sent on mission by God. Think about this. The angels are sent to Zechariah and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. John is sent as a witness. Jesus is sent to earth as the Savior. Jesus is sent to Mary and Joseph. The Christ child is sent to him. The shepherds are sent to the manger. Simeon is sent to wait for the, for the Christ the wise men are sent to Bethlehem, and then they're sent home a different way. And Joseph and the family are sent to Egypt to escape Herod before he murders the, the children. What's the point? Who's doing all this sending? <laughs> There's a lot of sending going on in the Christmas story. It's God. God is doing all of this sending. God is fulfilling his plan. Now, being sent is also a, a major theme in, in the Gospel of John. John is sent by God, and of course, 
His mission is unique. It's special. He's the forerunner who announces the Messiah. That's special to John. But you and I are sent with a similar, though not identical, mission. So Jesus tells the disciples after his resurrection, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. John 20, 21. We've been commissioned. God has sent you and I to bear witness to Jesus so that people might believe in him. You and I are heralds of the good news. So we read, God has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. 2 Corinthians 5.20 So, go tell it on the mountain, O herald of good news to the world. Lift up your voice with strength and fear not. Go and make disciples. You see, just like John, we're just servants of God. We've been sent on mission, so serve him faithfully. God has sent you to do the work that he himself has prepared for you to do. So start with those closest and work out from there with loving your spouse and your kids and your neighbors and your coworkers. Of course, a herald doesn't write the message. We don't write the mail. Our job is simply to deliver it. And that leads us to point two. We have to know the message. What's John's message? Well, John came and bore witness about the light. Look at, at verse seven again. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. What was his message? We, we need more than this verse. And there's a lot of places we could go, but I want to look at one text in particular, which I think is fitting because this verse tells us that John bore witness to the light. Essentially, John's message is one of repentance and forgiveness of sins, which we'll see in this passage. But I want you to pay attention as we go through this, how John is bearing witness to the light. Where is this passage found? It's found in his dad, Zechariah's prophecy in Luke chapter 1. You remember what happened. The angel Gabriel shows up and is, is, he tells Zechariah, you're going to have a son. Problem. Zechariah doubts. He doesn't believe. And because of his unbelief, God strikes him mute. He just puts him on mute, like, you know, on your remote. Nine months, nothing. Silence. Then after nine months of silence, baby John is born, and the family is all gathered, and they're trying to decide what we should name him. And the family says, well, you should call him Zechariah Jr. after his dad. That's Luke chapter 1, verse 59. But Elizabeth and Zechariah both insist, no, his name is John. That's what Gabriel told him. You see, Zechariah had learned to trust the word of God. And as soon as he writes down his name is John, his mouth is opened, and the first thing he does is praise God. He just praises God. He's full of the Holy Spirit, and he, he shares this prophecy, praising God for sending a mighty Savior. Now, if you read this prophecy, it's all focused almost entirely on Jesus, that salvation is not something that we accomplish by going to God, but something that God accomplishes by coming to us. God visits to redeem. So Zechariah says, Blessed be the, God, the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited, 
He's come to us and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Zechariah didn't fully understand all that this meant at the moment. We'll talk a little bit about that. We're saved by grace, though. You see, without God coming and entering our situation from the outside, we never would have been saved. Now, near the end of his, his prophecy, Zechariah talks about his son John's message. And this is the text I wanted to draw our attention to. He says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. John's message is a message of forgiveness of sins, a message of salvation and the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness because of the tender mercy of our God, that's the heart of the gospel. It's also our greatest need. Zechariah is talking about God defeating all of our enemies. Our greatest enemy is sin. The redemption that we need most is deliverance from the power and the penalty of sin, God's judgment for sin, so that we can have peace with God. But I want you to notice, Jesus is the sunrise. He's the light, and John bears witness to the light. You see, apart from Jesus Christ, we are all sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. We are locked inside of a dark dungeon with no hope of escape. I wonder if we could do something this morning. I wonder if you would close your eyes for a minute and do some imagining with me. I want you to imagine, close your eyes and imagine that you're sitting in a dark dungeon. The door is locked there is no window, it is pitch black, there is no light at all, and no chance of escape. This is not like an escape room where you can find your own way out. If you're going to get out, help has to come from outside. Now, groping around in the dark, you feel this crack in the middle of the floor, and it runs from one end of the room to the other, and you realize that the entire floor is a trap door ready to drop open at any moment. Now you press your ear down to the crack, and far below you, you can faintly hear people screaming in unbearable pain. And the only other sound that you hear is a clock ticking. Tick, tick, tick. It's counting down, you realize, the time until the trap door opens and you fall into the abyss, adding your screams to those below. You are sitting in the dark prison of your sin in the shadow of death for your rebellion against God. You are awaiting God's wrath. It is only a matter of time before you fall into hell and torment forever. Then, suddenly, a light shines under the door to your cell. The door bursts open and floods you with brilliant light. Christ comes like a sunrise from heaven, bringing you out of the dungeon. Look at this text from Isaiah 43, verses 6 and 7. God says this about the Messiah. 
I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Zechariah applies this to Jesus. This is what he came to do. That's the message that John proclaims. Jesus is the light that dawns from heaven to bring out from prison those who sit in darkness. John came to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And those who believe in Jesus receive forgiveness of sins. They become children of God. They receive eternal life. You see, God is not willing to let us remain trapped by sin, doomed to die. He chose to rescue us, not because of what's in us, but because of what's in Him. Because of the tender mercy of God. That's what motivated Him to send Jesus to save us. Christmas is a celebration of God's tender mercy mercy, his extravagant love, his precious gift of grace and peace in Jesus Christ. Have you repented of your sins and trusted in Christ to save you? The message is come to the light. Find forgiveness for your sins and peace with God. See, at Christmas, we give gifts. Amen, somebody. I mean, let's be honest. Gifts are one of the most anticipated parts of the Christmas season. Do you see it's so fitting for us to give gifts to each other? Because it mirrors the greatest gift of all, the gift of salvation that God has given to us. When you give somebody a gift, they don't pay you for it. They don't earn it. It's free to them. Of course, it costs somebody something to pay for it. It costs you something to buy it, right? But for them, it's free. Don't you see, this is the gospel. This is a picture of the gospel. God purchases your salvation through Jesus Christ, and he offers this to you as a gift, a free gift of his grace. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And you receive that gift by faith. You confess your sins, asking God to forgive you, putting your trust in Jesus Christ to save you. That's why he came. God's grace is glorious, but it's way too glorious to keep it to yourself. For believers, for Christians, God has given you and I this message of the gospel to take to the world. Christmas is a great time to share the gospel. It's a great time to give a reason for the hope that you have. There aren't many times a year when Jesus' life and ministry can be so easily brought up in conversation. How do you mean? Well, like I said, giving gifts points to the ultimate gift. The lights on the houses and in your houses and the candles point to Jesus, the light who overcame the darkness. All the evergreen wreaths and the garlands and the the trees points to Jesus being the life. There's a reason we use that. They're always green. They're always full of life. Jesus is the life. How do you share the good news with your family and your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers? Well, let me suggest first you pray. 
pray because it's got to be God's work. But we ask and we look for opportunities to share the good news. Second, be purposeful when you gather with your family and friends. Talk about why you're excited for Christmas or why you're excited for your traditions or ask them questions about what their traditions are or what they're looking forward to. If your family comes over to your house for dinner, you could read the Christmas story from Luke or you could include them in a family devotion. You can share your testimony. We use this expression, testimony. It's the same thing that John does. It's you being a witness, a testimony about how God saved you, what God has done in your life. So pray and be purposeful, and perhaps the most important of all is for you to praise Jesus. Jesus is the light that conquers the darkness. Jesus is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is God in the flesh. He came to save us. When those truths capture your heart, it will come out of your mouth. Sharing the gospel must be an overflow of our heart. It comes from here. We don't drum this up. This isn't like, okay, I've got to share the gospel. No, it's, look at what Jesus did. I can't help but share the gospel. Do you see the difference? So praise Jesus. Praise Jesus for what he's done. Let these truths that are so familiar not harden you, but excite you, stir you, move you, and you'll share this good news. The real reason for your joy. You'll be able to tell people why you're excited for Christmas. And that leads us to point three. John magnifies Jesus Christ in humble joy. We see this in verse eight and in John's life as a whole. Look at verse eight. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. He was not the light. <laughs> John knew his place. John says down in verse 15, if you look there, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. He's pointing back to the fact that even though he was born before Jesus and he's older, like, you know, on earth, Jesus existed forever, and he's greater. John knows his, his place. He's humble, and he found his joy in Christ. In fact, his joyful witness began even before he was born, in the womb. You remember, right? The angel tells Mary that your relative Elizabeth is with child, right, to show that nothing is impossible, and Mary goes to check it out. And as soon as she comes, it's just awesome. She gets close Little baby Jesus is in the, in the womb, and John, who's also in the womb, leaps for joy. Like, his job is to announce the coming of the Savior, and he doesn't even waste any time. He's not even out of the womb yet, and he's doing his job. That's how on mission he is. And this is how Elizabeth knows. She knows that the baby in Mary's womb is more than a baby. He's not just a baby. This is my Lord, she says. It's amazing. His joyful witness, even from the womb. He joyfully magnified Jesus before he was born, and he never stops. So later on, uh, John's disciples, they all start leaving him 
and going to Jesus. And his, his disciples, some of them are like, hey, look, everybody's going to Jesus. And John rejoices at this. He rejoices at this. He, he, this is his mission. He said, I'm not the Christ. I told you, I'm not the Christ. But I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is amazing. John uses this illustration of a wedding, and Jesus is the groom, and John's sort of like the best man at the wedding. He's happy to be the groom's friend. He is rejoicing that the groom got the bride. The bride is all the people going to Jesus. The church is the bride. And John is just pumped that the groom got her. He got the bride. That's what a good best man does. You've all been at those weddings maybe where the best man speech is more about him than the groom. Yeah. Awkward laugh. It's awkward. You're like, dude, it's not about you, right? A good best man joyfully toasts the bride and groom, and then he's forgotten. That's John. He fades into the background. He must increase, I must decrease. Sometimes we make Christmas about us, don't we? When it's all about Jesus. You see, sin makes every single one of us self-centered. We make ourselves the lead character on center stage. That's why humility is so rare and so precious. And this is why John's humility here is so remarkable. He's got this growing following, this growing influence. It would be very tempting for him to make himself great, but he does not do that. He never loses sight of his place in the story that God is writing. He never tries to steal the lead from Jesus. He must increase, I must decrease. Now I want you to notice that this, this is where he finds his joy. He's not sad that all these people are going. He's not sad that he's decreasing. He rejoices in it. I had a friend once who entered a guitar contest. He was so proud of his performance that he was convinced that he won the whole thing. So they announced third place, not him. They announced second place, not him. They announced first place, and he immediately gets up and starts walking to the stage. And he's halfway there. Before he realizes, it's not him. He didn't even make the podium. So embarrassing. He had to go and sit down. You know, sin, this, this selfishness, when we get focused on ourselves, man, it causes all kinds of problems. This thing with the guitar is a funny story, but this selfishness is the source of so much of our anger our complaining, our discouragement, our critical spirit, our refusal to forgive people, our grudging service, 
It's rooted here. We forget that we're part of the wedding, but we're not the groom. We're not the most important person, but we want people to treat us like it's all about us. When we magnify ourselves, we want to be served rather than to serve. So much of our relational brokenness in our marriage, in our family, in the church, it stems from pride and selfishness because we take center stage rather than Jesus. We forget our place. But the story of Christmas and the story of the Bible as a whole is about God's glory. God is unfolding a plan, a glorious plan that is far bigger than any one of us. And like John, it's in living our part of the story that we find our purpose. It's in living for Christ that we find our joy. Now, here is the good news. And this is why we need to preach the gospel, not just to other people, but to ourselves. This is the good news. Our selfishness is part of the darkness that Jesus, the light, came to overcome. Our pride, our self-centeredness, these are sins that Jesus died for that are forgiven, that he sets us free from. God gives us a new heart that now desires to magnify him. And by God's grace, we are free to serve Christ and to serve others. That's the path to your joy. Your joy is found in lifting up Jesus with your life. So as the Spirit works in us to put Christ first, as the Spirit works in us to to put to death selfishness, so the Spirit is the one who produces joy in your life. As we magnify Christ by the Spirit, the Spirit multiplies our joy. This Christmas is our attitude that it's about me or that it's about Jesus, pointing to Him. So how can we magnify Jesus this Christmas with our celebrations and our traditions? One way that you might consider celebrating Jesus is at the end of every day, write down, have everyone in your family write down one way that that God has blessed them or one way they saw God bless them that day in their life. And at the end, on Christmas Day, get that bowl, read them all, and praise God for all of his blessings, especially the blessing of salvation. There are tons of ideas like this. The point is to be creative and to be intentional with what you're doing this Christmas. Now here's the key. The news, the news is seen to be good news by our joy in the Lord. Our joy is one of the ways that we magnify Jesus. Joy is a part of our witness to the world. Our joy in the Lord says following Jesus is good. It says we have a joy that runs deeper than the cheap substitutes of the world. And that magnifies Jesus. It's a joy that runs deeper than our circumstances. Like the song that the girls sang a moment ago about glory in the darkest place. How because of all that Jesus has done, the song says, even in our sorrow, we could sing. Of course, we cannot drum up joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, like I said. And so authentic joy is a gift from God. 
So this isn't a call to pretend like everything in your life is perfect or to simply put on a happy face. It's okay to be sad and to have deep sorrow. Still, even in our sorrow, there is an abiding joy in the Lord. But joy is not always boisterous. It might look like peace in our trials. It might look like hope when things are bleak. It might look like finding things to be thankful for despite your circumstances. It might look like patient endurance when you're being reviled, but it's there. When God commands us to rejoice in the Lord always, he hasn't forgotten that the world is broken. He hasn't forgotten about the kind of world that we live in. God is not asking us to pretend that suffering and sadness don't exist. God calls us to base our joy in Christ and our hope in him. God gives us a superior good, a superior hope, a superior reason for joy than the things of this world. It's a joy that Jesus says cannot be taken from you. John 16, 22, no matter what you face. It's joy that's rooted in this hope of Jesus Christ, this hope that we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus is the light for those who are in darkness and the shadow of death. He brings salvation from all of our enemies, forgiveness of sins, peace with God, eternal life for everyone who calls on him in faith. So go tell it on the mountain, O herald of good news to the world. God's given you a mission and a message, and he calls you to magnify him. So serve him and share him and celebrate him in all that you do this Christmas. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you and we praise you. That's all we can do as we look at the gospel, as we see your tender mercy displayed in Jesus Christ, as we see your extravagant love. God, we praise you and we thank you. Lord, we ask that you would captivate our hearts with the glory of the good news in Jesus Christ, and that would overflow in songs and words of praise to you. It would overflow in sharing this good news with those around us. God, we thank you, we love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.